Hello and welcome to Let the Bird Fly, a podcast about living freely in a world given back to us. We're here in the studio to record a different kind of podcast. Wisconsin Lutheran College, like all universities, have suspended face-to-face education due to the spread of the coronavirus. Online education is the norm for a while, so Wade and I have decided to team up and record some audio for our students in lieu of classroom lectures. It's not ideal, but we think our discussions will be better than hastily made videos in which students have to look at our ugly mugs as we drone on without the benefit of a live audience. I meant it's plural there. It's mine, too. And I do appreciate you coming on to my courses and I am going on to your courses to give this kind of back and forth, which is going to be so much better, I think, than than people just listening to one voice. So if you are a student, um, you can subscribe to Let the Bird Fly. You will notice that uh, the and class... And go to the easiest way to do that. Go to letthebirdfly.com, do subscribe, and it will say to podcast. And it will list all the different podcatchers you can use. And then just find the one that you yep. think is going to be easiest for you to use and subscribe in that. And we'll be sending you emails and stuff like this, but you do have to listen to these, and these are going to be the, the lec- in, in lieu of the lectures. And we hope that uh, by teaming up here, it'll be a little bit more entertaining. Um they're going to be called COVID-19 Online Learning. Uh, like I said, you can subscribe to that. To our subscribers already, we're glad that you're still listening. Thank you. Well, we hope this will be beneficial to you and kind of insight in how do we do things at WLC. We do apologize that you're getting all of a sudden like information instead of twice a week, like, I don't know. It was like four nine times a day. yesterday. Yeah. Yeah. So you can adjust that. Um, but please don't unsubscribe because that's important for podcasts that we are. Just set it to only yeah. download the most recent or not download. Yeah. We will. I I threw nine at you yesterday. I apologize. I was on a producing. Uh, binge. <clears throat> binge, yeah. We're going to space them out more as we're going. Yeah. That The the point of this week, there will be so many this week, just to get Mike to get the student stuff for the next two weeks mm-hmm. because some of the students are going to have to work at their own pace to a certain yeah. extent depending on where they've landed now and what they're doing. So that will slow down, I promise you. All right, so this is introduction to Scripture. So basic freshman, first class uh, in, in uh, well, theology. Well, they're not basic freshman. It's a basic class. Basic, some of them um, are they're, basic. They're no, they're actually they're fantastic. Because I think basic's a put-down now and amongst by the, the kids. And by the way, it's a good freshman class. I've enjoyed it. Well, My one really good group freshman is good class. Too. Yeah. So we're very happy, uh, and it's a fun semester, but we go through the whole scripture um, in one semester, so it's 100 miles per hour. And so uh, they have to do a lot of reading, and, and the lectures really kind of are just, let's highlight some things, think about this in a different way, and try to make those alive. So we can't touch on everything that Jesus said and did, obviously, but we're going to do our best. So today, the lesson for Theology 105, Introduction to Scripture, is the life of Christ. And what I mean by that is we've gone through the nativity of Christ, uh, the visit of the Magi, and now we're going to get to his baptism, temptation, uh, his first miracles, preaching at Nazareth. We'll see how far we can get. If you're in the if, if you're in the church world, especially the Lutheran and Roman Catholic church world, think the season of Epiphany. Jesus is being unveiled here in some of the main stories. Uh, next time we'll talk about uh, the lesson is the teachings of Christ. So we'll talk about the Sermon on the Mount, some parables and stuff like that. So that's how I divided that up today. So let's talk the baptism of Christ. At first glance, you got John the Baptist out in the Jordan River, and, and uh, Jesus comes out. He is 30 years old right now, and John the Baptist says, um, I assume it's in Latin. Okay, okay, Agnes Dei. I'm not sure what the, you know um, uh, what uh, language he was. Probably Aramaic, Aramaic of course. Yeah. But behold, the Lamb of God. 
right? And and right there, but it's it's cool in Latin. It is Can very just cool in Latin. That? It is, and there's something. There's certain languages that that just certain phrases. Yeah, like. Yeah. But then there's some things that are good in German, some things that right. are good in Greek, some things that are actually good in like French or English too, you know? You know what's good in English? Rock and roll. Oh, what's up? Remember that? <laughs> that was good in English. You know, this is something to think about. So um, rock and roll really is an English thing. It comes from jazz too. So You're talking about American English. Well, American English. Don't give it to the Brits. American English. But well, the Beatles, rock and roll Rolling has Stone. been, and Led Zeppelin, and I mean, some of the greatest were it's very hard to do rock and roll in a different language. Have you ever thought about that? Now, I know what you're thinking about 99 Red Balloons and stuff like that, but that was English, I don't even know what too. That is. What is There's that? some German in that, in that one, I think. Oh, that's the dun-da-dun. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. That's pop, though. That's not rock, isn't well, it? Well, popular music, rock and roll kind of stuff like that, even when somebody like from a different uh, culture sings it, in English, they sing it with an American accent. It, there's something about this music you know, is tied was, to American culture. What was fun was uh, <coughs> when Trisha and I were on our honeymoon in Germany, because I'm a romantic, so I took her to the Lutherlands <laughs> for a honeymoon. Um, but we would go to go to a bunch of like Irish pubs, you know, um, in Germany because it's humorous to me. Yes, you know, like uh, I don't. Know, I just thought it was funny. But you know what? Whenever there was karaoke. In one of these Irish pubs, you know what the Germans almost always sang? Hmm. Uh, is it John Denver, who's the West Virginia? <laughs> but they can't say West, you know, so be like, West Virginia. Virginia. <laughs> and I just, it was so hard, Trisha would tell me not to like crack up, you know, because it would make it seem like I thought right. they weren't singing well. Right. They were singing well. It just, a German singing I'm telling John you. Denver in an Irish pub in Germany, like in Berlin. Right. You know, it just, I'm made me so happy. I'm, I'm telling you, English is, is the only language that can really do rock and roll. There's something about that. we got to get uh, Dr. Zima on and ask him that question. But the, the Germans and the Scandinavians, they can do metal pretty well. True. They're, they're pretty... This, this sounds like a whole episode. Sounds like a whole episode, but we need to keep moving. You know who uh, raps decently? The Flemish. I, uh, really, there's also a, a large French rap uh, scene going on, too. Yeah, there's a... Is again where I have relatives from in Belgium, produced a rap group, and I was listening in a. They had some bars. All right. Fire bars. I All think right. the kids say. Fire bars. So John the Baptist <laughs> says in Latin. <laughs> John the Baptist says in Latin, okay, this day, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world," and. We've talked about John the Baptist being this Old Testament character, right? He's pointing ahead to Christ. The whole thing's about Christ, and here he comes. And John is baptizing out in the Jordan River, which my students know, uh, uh, many stories that surround the Jordan River. And people always picture this, like, it's where Jesus baptized. Jordan River must be like this beautiful, like, flowing, blue, <laughs> clean, yeah, no. lovely river. It's a... Uh, those of you from, from Michigan, think the Rouge or the Saginaw. Yeah. It's brownish water. It's... Yeah. So they're in the they're in the valley here, and and John's doing this baptism, which would not have just think baptism cleansing. This is not unusual for the ancient world. It's not unusual in for the Israelite culture that you would have these ceremonial washings, and it wouldn't be totally unusual that you got it not a rogue guy, but you got somebody out there who is spiritual and going through this. But this was a baptism of repentance, preparing for Jesus to come. His preaching and his baptism was saying, "Here comes the one who's actually going to do it." But then we have this just strange thing where Jesus wants to get baptized. And so to receive a sinner's baptism. Yeah. Because if this is a baptism of repentance, it's a baptism 
for sinners. And, and you know, John is right away says, why should I baptize? You should be baptizing me because I'm the sinner and you're not the sinner. And Jesus, of course, doesn't give us a good answer at all. He just says, we need to do this to fulfill all righteousness. Well, what in the world does that mean? Um, I, I like to think about it this way, that Jesus is putting himself in the place of sinners. We may even go so far as Luther did in uh, one of his hymns to say, um, and in the in the flood prayer in the baptismal uh, order, saying this is Jesus sanctifying the waters of baptism. Um, I this may get me in trouble, but I'll go so far as the imagery is there is that the water's a conduit, like um, Jesus is oxyclean, right? You go into the waters of baptism, your your dirty socks, you come out clean. Why? Because Jesus went in there with his righteousness. There's an exchange that goes on there. So I can't prove that beyond a shadow of a doubt, but I think that's the imagery that's going on. I would also say that there's a string of water spirit washing sort of stories that start all the way at the beginning of Genesis and then are going to end up in Christian baptism. So, uh, We know God's word creates something out of nothing. We know in the beginning, God said, let there be light and there was light. But what was there when he was speaking? Um, There was the spirit hovering over the waters, right? So you have the word of God being spoken. You have the spirit and you have water. This is how he created something out of nothing. We don't want to push that too far. But then we have the cleansing in uh, the, by the flood in Noah. We have the uh, Israelites, which by the way, Baptism of our Lord, Noah, and the floodwaters. One of the best parts about the Luther's baptismal service and what's an occasional services for Christian worship is the connection he makes in the, the flutgebet, the, the flood, flood prayer. prayer. Absolutely. And <coughs> Peter's going to make that connection from baptism to the washing. Water, water is unforgiving. It destroys, but it also is necessary for life. And so you can think the water destroying the world in the flood, but the same water pushes up and saves the church. Um, the Israelites are baptized into Moses through the Red Sea, um, but it is not Moses, the lawgiver, who is going to bring them into the promised land like Jesus does heaven. It's going to be Joshua, Yeshua, God saves, who's, um, which is the Hebrew version of the Greek, Jesus, right? There's a whole lot of imagery that's going on there. Then you have the washing rituals of the Old Testament that taught the people two theological uh, uh, lessons. One is you can't help but get sinful, dirty, and you can't wash yourself. You need to be washed by an outside source that is God. And then you have this baptism of repentance. And then finally, when Jesus goes, and now you have a baptism into Jesus or into the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, it's the actual forgiving of sins now. It's tied to Christ. Just like all of those Old Testament pictures were just a shadow, and now it's the real thing. Now it's a real sacrifice that actually pays the price for sin. Now the Passover is actually a forgiveness of sins and not just a picture of uh, uh, freedom from the slavery of Egypt and looking forward to Jesus. Now it looks forward to uh, the heavenly feast in uh, in, in the, the Lamb's high feast in heaven, and uh, gives you the forgiveness of sins. So I think it's natural that that, that that occurred, that there is a red line string of water stories that goes all the way through John the Baptist to Christian baptism. But there's something else going on here. In fact, this is one of the few places where we see all three persons of the Trinity specifically mentioned. So the Son is being baptized by John. You have 
uh, the Holy Spirit descending uh, like a dove, and you have the Father bellowing, this is my Son. And we often think about this, although I don't know if this was an ancient way to look at baptism, but it was maybe something that developed a little bit later, not that it was wrong, but that this is the inauguration into Jesus uh, and his, his ministry. So he's 30 years old. We're going to have a three-year ministry before he dies. And the age 30 was kind of a, uh, that's when you became a leader. Um, you became um, a man or a woman at 13, and uh, you became a leader at 30. David was crowned, finally took over at 30 years old. When did you become at 42, just out of curiosity? Um, you become fat. Oh, man. You become fat. Is that? That's us. That's us. That's true, though. Yeah. Can't really yeah. argue it. Yeah. Um, balding. Balding. Yeah, balding. I'm going thin, man. Really? I am really going thin. Like, if I would shave my head like you, it would be the same. Huh. Yeah. It's Maybe not. I should grow mine out, see if there I There you go. It's not pretty. Um, um, anyway, so... Uh, <clears throat> We can think about this as Jesus being inaugurated. So think the presidential inauguration. The, 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 the person's already been elected, but this is when they are going to go into the office. And what we mean by office there is not the oval office of the president of the United States, but the, but the position of the presidency of the United States. And so in the office of Christ, and remember Christ is a title, not his, not his last name. Christ is the, this Messiah. He's the one who's been promised, and it's an office. And we talk about that as a threefold office, prophet, priest, and king. And so we may talk about it as a commissioning as prophet. We may talk about him as a coronation as king um, and as an ordination as priest. And we'll talk about prophet, priest, and king in, in unit four when we get to Hebrews. Um, but this is inaugurating Jesus' ministry, and he has the backing of both the Holy Spirit and the Father. So this is John the Baptist. He is the one who gets to have the honor of inaugurating Jesus into his ministry. He has been preparing with his baptism, but also his preaching. And his preaching is quite fiery at this point, right? Maybe maybe you want to expand on that a little bit, the, the brood of vipers and the threshing floor and all this kind of stuff. What is John the Baptist saying to these? Because there are people like uh, of, of the groups of the Pharisees are coming out and they're going, we got to figure out this John guy. He's very popular. What, 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 how would you describe? John's preaching. Can I backtrack just sure. a little bit? Um, you know what I did that I don't usually do that you should be impressed with me for? I patiently waited to say what I wanted to say. <laughs> so I kind of let you go. Gold star. Luther. This is from uh, Luther's Works, Volume 58, A Sermon for the Baptism <coughs> of Our Lord. So he's talking about Matthew chapter 3. And uh, he says, uh, he sets up this nice... Uh, um, uh, comparison. He says, The Pharisees and the scribes who were full of sin and condemnation deny that they have any sin. Uh, and yet Jesus comes forward and he says, Here John gets a sinner who has no sin so far as his own person is concerned, and yet he is the greatest sinner who has and bears the sin of the world. And so just that emphasize that Luther recognizes um, that the text brings out Christ becomes the greatest sinner of the world. Now, this does not mean uh, that Christ himself commits sin. Uh, he, right, he's the, the spotless lamb who mm -hmm. goes forth. He's in, innocently convicted. But he does, uh, in a very real way, become us, mm -hmm. right? And so in the baptism of, of our Lord, we see him taking all those sins that we're so reticent to confess, 
right? We're so reticent to own up to. And he's, he says, for Pete's sake. And he puts them in the waters of baptism. He takes them upon himself. And notice there this comparison that gets up too. The Pharisees and scribes who are full of sin and condemnation, right? Um, but also notice, they are also quick to condemn. And Christ takes our sins and becomes the greatest sinner precisely because he does not want to condemn us um, so that we can say with Paul in Romans 8, 1, there is now no condemnation for those who are in the law. So this, this idea of what we see there when Jesus says to fulfill all righteousness, we see Christ willing to become the greatest sinner. Um, so this is in a way, like on the cross, Jesus taking our sins upon himself uh, to put them down in the water of baptism. Now we can get to the... And in and, and Romans chapter 6, that baptism is a death and into Christ too. I mean, there's a connection there. You yeah. don't get very far about talking about baptism without talking about it as uh, birth, a rebirth after a death, right? So it's all connected there. And we, and we could talk more about the relationship between Jesus' baptism and John's, but we need not. Your question to me was his fiery preaching. Oh, yeah. Um, and I think uh, what we see in John is uh, he's pre- preparing the way for the, the, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He's preparing the way for the good news to be proclaimed. And what does that? Well, the law does that. And how does the law do, do that? It does it in its theological use. We can talk about the three uses of the law, but it's just as helpful to talk about the two uses of the law. We can talk about the political use of the law, which is largely curb, right? Mm-hmm. Don't jaywalk or you get a ticket. Um, don't gather with more than 50 people or you get, I don't know, what's the punishment for that? A fine? I, I heard that, yeah, there's a there's a fine, like well, 250 bucks, but then it could be 30 days in jail. So. Yeah, so I don't want that. No. Um, and so I don't do that. But the theological use is... Uh, the condemning use, the killing use, the revealing use of our sin. And so John comes, and as he's preparing the way, uh, he he comes and preaches a, a harsh and a blunt law, um, you brood of vipers. Mm-hmm. Uh, but notice what that what that law does. In some, it, it strikes a very real cognizance of their sin, so that the soldier says, how then should I live, mm-hmm. right, a repentant life in, my, in this task? Um, so that those with other vocations ask the same question. Um, and so it makes it makes sense that as we prepare for the good news of Jesus Christ, John would come uh, to unmask all the facades, the superficialities that we use to kind of become whitewashed walls or glasses that are clean on the outside but not the inside, uh, to lay bare the problem um, so that when he says, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, we recognize that's what I, that's what I need. Absolutely. That's well put. We got to keep moving here. Right after uh, Jesus is baptized, the next story, main story that we're going to hear in Matthew and Luke is, uh, is Jesus goes out and into the wilderness and he's going to be tempted by the devil. And the way I like to frame this story is this: Remember the Israelites who came out of Egypt and then wandered in the wilderness for forty years, and they grumbled and they complained. They were tempted with uh, testing God. They were tempted with food. They were tempted with power, all of these kinds of things. Jesus is down in Egypt, fleeing Herod's rage. He comes back um, about 30, maybe 20, 29, 30 years later. He finds himself in the same exact wilderness as his forefathers. And he is tempted in similar ways. He's tempted with bread. The devil goes out there. And by the way, he's out there not 40 years, but for 40 days. And he's tempted with 
with bread. He hasn't eaten. He's fasted for 40 days. And, uh, and so then he's tempted and with turning, the, the devil says, why don't you turn rocks into bread? And Jesus says, um, you know, I uh, only need the word of God, right? I don't need to, to do that. So uh, they were tempted. They were given food, the Israelites, and they still complained, right? Uh, the devil shows him all the, the countries of the world and says, I will give this to you if you bow down to me, right? Uh, to worship a, a different God, but Jesus does not fall into that temptation. Uh, the devil takes him to the pinnacle of the temple, the high point of the, this most majestic building on top of this Mount Zion, and he says, jump down. Don't you know that the angels will come and get you? And, and he quotes scripture in all of these temptations. He twists his scripture and says, it's been told that the Holy One will not, you know, let his, his foot hit against a rock. And Jesus you know why it would have been a don't. bad Messiah, Mike? Well, there's, we don't have en- enough time for that. Because he would have really gotten under my skin. They're like, I don't like when people are like <laughs> trash talking me. And right. I probably would have got mad. I'm like, fine. I'll punch him. You don't think I can jump off? Yeah, that's right. I'll jump off. He would have, he would have baited you and you would have taken I'd have been bait. baited so easy. But <laughs> Jesus says you should not test the Lord your God. And so he uses scripture versus scripture, the misuse of scripture there. And I, and then he is exhausted because he is still 100% true man. The angels come to attend him. And I think one of the main points is to say, look how Israel went out there and failed miserably. Now look how Jesus goes out there and he succeeds. And so... When we are going out into our wilderness until we cross Jordan like the Israelites into our promised land of heaven, we're going to fail. This is our 40 years of trial and tri- tribulation, and we're going to fail quite a bit and have already. But our righteousness comes not by, uh, by law, we following the law, but a righteousness by faith. And Jesus did it in our place. Jesus is the perfect Israel that did not fall into temptation but prove that he could do it. And so this is about Jesus replacing us and the temptation of Jesus. One of my favorite stories, I think an underrated story, is also from Luke chapter 4, and that's preaching at Nazareth. So Jesus was uh, uh, grew up in Nazareth, a small town. He's the carpenter's son. And he's become a rabbi. He's become kind of sort of becoming famous. And, and he goes home and he is going to preach, right? And this is very difficult for a prophet because it's been said that the, uh, the, the prophets never welcomed in his hometown. And this is going to be true. And uh, when he gets up and he preaches at the synagogue on Saturday morning, our Saturday morning, he reads from uh, Isaiah's scroll and talks about the year of Jubilee and how there's going to be great things that happen and the blind will see. It's talking about the Messiah coming. And then he dramatically, which seems to be the, um, uh, uh, the, the, the rubric, the liturgy of the synagogue service, he rolls up the scroll and hands it to the attendant. And then he sits down. They would have sat down to preach. And he preaches, and it's the best sermon. He says, today, today. Today, I'm just again writing another devotion of, about that word today uh, for later in uh, later this month for WLC. Today is the day. And when he said today, he said, I'm the Messiah. It's right before you. This is happening today. And uh, I, I, that's powerful for us to think about Jesus preaching to us. Jesus has already come and done his thing. And, and, and we have, even though we're not yet in heaven, we have been given this. We are in the already, but the not yet, if we, as we've talked about many times. And so that today is still a word for me. Today, Jesus says, today I am your Savior. 
And at first, uh, the crowd are like, wow, this guy is a fantastic preacher. How could he not be? He's the Messiah. And they're wondering, and it seems maybe they even accept him. But then he says something, and this is so true about humanity. He says something that gets under their skin. He says that many Jewish people are going to reject the Messiah and that he's going to go to the Gentiles. And notice, like, he's claiming to be God. And they're like, that's pretty cool. That's pretty awesome. Maybe he is our home guy. Maybe, you know, they, they, they're, I don't know that they put two and two together just yet, but he's claiming some pretty powerful things here. And they're like, wow, but do not, do not insult my town, my people. Do not say that those Gentiles are better than us, right? It's kind of like uh, somebody comes uh, to like Ohio State, Michigan uh, game and uh, the guy says something fantastic, like just, I, I cured cancer. And they're like, that is awesome. And then he's like, he's like, well, I'm a go Michigan Buckeyes. grad and I'll go Buckeyes. And they're like, we don't care if he killed cancer. We're going to run him over, right? Yeah. You know, that we're overtaken by these cancer emotions. Cancer wasn't so bad anyway. <laughs> right. You know, I would rather die of cancer than have somebody yeah. switch sides. So it's. It's just one of those things that our emotions take us over. So they're going to throw him off a cliff. They're so ticked off at him. Um, and yet he walks through the crowd. And I take that as a miracle that he uh, walked through the crowd. Um, how could they not trust him now? But that's, that's how dark hearts work. We will ignore the empirical evidence. Um, we will turn our, ourselves away from God, even our own hometown prophet. Um, we got maybe about 10 minutes left. Um, and... I never get through all these stories. Obviously, there's no time we do. And so we kind of pick and choose which one you want to talk about. Um, I like how you do this, though, Mike. You, you tie a lot together. And we try to put it together, at least the main ones, you know, and that kind of thing. So You have I, a very, like, thoughtful thread through your classes. Well, My classes of, are more like, I have a point I want to make, and, and I kind start of start to make it. Talking about dolphins. Then I, yeah, then I end <laughs> up, like, talking about dolphins or <laughs> if an alligator could beat a, a bear. Right. And then I usually have some decent theological points. Like afterwards, I'm like, man, those were some good points. But then a student will, you know, bring up the dolphins again. And uh, we end up on that. So I'm very impressed with this. You get get, uh, distracted very easily. Yeah, let's just say that. At tangents are my thing. That's what, and th- that's some of the best learning happens in yeah. those tangents. So sometimes, but in one hundred five, man, you got to keep pace. You got to keep going. We got the whole Bible to go through. Sometimes right? it's like yeah. we end up talking about you know what restaurant has the best meats, <laughs> which in, is, in my opinion, is Arby's. Well, but, that's what. But they then claim. I, of course, got to survey the whole class, and we. So that's a hard one. You because, keep it on task. I like because it. Arby's has so many different meats. Right. They that's have why I think that's let, the best meats. Let up, and they yeah. have the secret menu. That's true. All right. What I'm going to do is I'm going to give you a choice to go. I got the wedding at Cana. Jesus calms the storm. Sending of the twelve. Um, here's one that I would like you to talk about: is uh, Jesus and the Canaanite woman, mm-hmm. since you're kind of a little bit of an expert on on uh, Mark. Um, no animal fights, though. So how about you take one of those, and then I'll pick up one. Um, where the In this scenario, where are Jesus and the Canaanite woman talking? Where are they talking? Are they perhaps at SeaWorld or something? <laughs> no, they're not. <laughs> they're not? No, they're not. <laughs> All right. Um, so you're talking about uh, the Syrophoenician woman, the Canaanite woman, Mark 7? Yeah. Okay. <clears throat> I just want to make sure I'm talking about the right thing. Um, so Canaan, the Syrophoenician woman, <coughs> Syria and Phoenicia, my, my students know that Syria is the great, where Syria was. That's kind of the big 
territory. They know the Phoenicians because I make them do map work, Wade. Phoenicians are up on the on the coast uh, um, to the to the northwest. But sometimes she's called the Canaanite woman, Canaanite kind of an overall sure, yep. tribes that aren't Jewish. Okay, go ahead. Just making sure we're talking about the same thing yeah. for those who are following along. Um, so <clears throat> Mark uh, 5 and Mark 7 are important chapters to understand his gospel. And uh, one of the fun things about Mark 5 and um, Mark 7 is the people that Jesus is coming into contact with. Um, I like to point out to my students how often in Mark Jesus is dealing with unclean people or non-Jewish people or women <coughs> um, or uh, uh, ma- public sinners, right, manifest sinners or demoniacs. And so we get um, in Mark 7, uh, Jesus encountering a woman uh, who is a Canaanite or Syrophoenician, so a non-Jew woman. Um, and keep in mind, uh, at this time, both of those things, being a Syrophoenician or Canaanite and a woman, were knocks against you so far as being involved in public discourse and really having face time with a rabbi, mm-hmm. right, that you, a public teaching figure. Who this, G- whom Jesus is considered. Right. right now, yeah. This wasn't a good recipe for having some face-to-face discussion with him. Um, but we have this woman uh, who had a little daughter who had an unclean spirit. She hears about Jesus, and she comes and falls at his feet. Um, this is a humble approach that she makes. Keep in mind in Greek, right, well, one of the words for worship is to fall with your face on the on the ground. And she falls at his feet, um, and she begs him to cast the demon out of her daughter. <clears throat> and Jesus here makes what seems to be a very harsh reply. I can't remember what audio session you were talking about yesterday, Mike, where you said sometimes Jesus just seems mean. Yeah, don't 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 follow <coughs> don't do what Jesus does in a lot of circumstances. Yeah, he, he just seems kind of mean. And so he says to her, Let the little children be fed first, and the little children here being the Jews, for it is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. Uh, and so this seems that to be that he's dismissing her as a Gentile. He doesn't don't have time. Call for her. women dogs. Yeah, that's a bad general one. general well, rule of thumb. And the thing is, too, keep in mind here, dogs in America. A lot of us have dogs as pets, right? Dogs are not viewed the same way that they were viewed at this time and in this mm-hmm. place, and still in many places in the Middle East today. You know, our dogs. We go home, and Shotzi's excited to see me, mm-hmm. and maybe she licks my face, which my wife thinks is disgusting. Mm-hmm. It is. Um, maybe I lick her face. That's also disgusting. Um, and uh, we're just happy to see each other, right? This. Uh, in the in the Middle East at this time, uh, dogs were unclean animals. To call someone a pig or a dog was really bad. To call them a pig dog was exceptionally bad. These were not um, complimentary terms. So this is even more offensive out of the Savior's mouth. But she does what Jesus wants us to do. And this is one big lesson on what faith does. She catches Jesus in his words, which is where Jesus wants to be caught we just recorded on the third article for my Theology 110 class for um, for listeners uh, who are just listening along for fun. You may want to listen to that one. But uh, she catches him in in, uh, in his words, and she says, okay, I'll, I'll be your dog if it means I get the crumbs. Right? Yes, Lord, yet even the dogs under the table eat the crumbs. And he says, for this statement, you may go your way. The demon has left your daughter. And notice, uh, Jesus doesn't have to go and put on a show and have a healing hanky and a light show and <clears throat> do the, you know, padao thing or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, she's healed uh, with Jesus' word. 
but uh, but this catching of Jesus in His Word, uh, this humility of faith that says even the crumbs from you are better than anything that the world has, and this. She so trusts in his mercy and graciousness that even though it seems that he has insulted her, um, she she sees in him something more, which is something that we as Christians are sometimes called to do as well. We have to believe against ourselves in the grace and mercy of God. Um, under the cross, sometimes our experience seems anything but indicative of a, a God loving us and providing for us. And uh, it's faith against uh, unbelief. Uh, we hold God to his word. We pray the Lord's Prayer where Jesus puts imperatives in our mouth that hold God to his word. And so I think a marvelous lesson. He's pulling it out of her, right? I mean, right. he's pulling this confession yeah. that came from faith. And you're allowed to kind of shake your fist at God and say, you promised, right? right. You David promised. does it in the Psalms. Yeah. We do it all the time. And, and uh, when we talk about prayer, we'll talk about that quite a bit later in our in our semester. Um, um, I, I'd like to maybe do the uh, two things real quick, the wedding at Cana and the sending of the Twelve. Oh, I thought the second one was going to be an animal fight. No, the wedding at Cana, I, so Jesus goes to this wedding, and uh, and a wedding would have been, a, especially if someone's wealthy, like a multi-day kind of deal. And this wedding, there is a master of ceremonies who is going to make sure that the wine flows, that the, the food is uh, 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 served, and everything goes smoothly. But... Ultimately, it was the groom and his family's responsibility to have enough wine and food and stuff like that. It was a groom's responsibility. And this wasn't just wine like an open bar at a wedding today. Wine was a staple. Right. Sometimes you couldn't drink the water or that yeah. much of the water. So the kids are even drinking wine. Right. But it's not, this is not like Mad Dog. Right. Um, right. You know, like back in the day, I don't know if they still make Mad Dog. But, I have no idea. Um, but I think that was like the one of the drinks of choice for rebellious high schoolers. You know? <laughs> um, but, don't uh, do that. No, yes. I don't. Don't drink Mad Dog. But this would have been often watered down wine, too. So um, the master of the ceremony um, is kind of clueless in the scene. But the servants start to realize that the wine's going to run out. This is like social faux pas. This is going to be embarrassing. And, and Mary is there, the mother of Jesus, and she notices what's going on. And so she bugs her, um, you know, her, her divine son. You got to do something about this. You got to fix this up. And Jesus is saying, it's not my time yet, right? But um, he does take these large jars of water that would have been used for ceremonial washing, so gallons and gallons of water, and he turns them into wine, and he saves the day. And so he, he performs his first miracle, and the disciples put their faith in him. Yay, we go home. Can I tell you a quick story about a buddy? Sure, so and then I'm going to come back to that. He's a Christian, punchline. but he was at a, a large public university, and they were uh, drinking in the dorm, which I'm, I'm not endorsing. Wait, sure. no. The friend wasn't a Christian. The RA was a Christian. Okay. Um, and uh, and so they knew the RA was a Christian, whatever. My buddy was not a Christian, but he thought this was a funny thing that they did. So they were drinking whatever. And uh, and they're not supposed to do. Right. And so they come down. The RA comes down to bust them. And my buddy said, uh, you're not going to believe this man. Five minutes ago, this was water. <laughs> <laughs> and then um, he got in trouble. Yeah, he got in trouble. Uh, That's offensive to me. Why is that offensive? I'm just kidding. It's funny. All right. Um but I think the point of the story is not just that Jesus performed a miracle. He's going to perform other miracles. I think he bails the groom out. And if you notice, the master of the ceremony, when he tastes the new wine that's coming out, he goes to the groom and says, hey, most guys are 
you know, they use, they have cheap wine first or good wine first and then bring out the cheap wine later when everybody's had too much to drink. They don't know the difference. And and he says, but you, man, you are a man among men. You bring out the, the choicest wine uh, last, which, of course, is going to be the best wine because Jesus made it, right? And um, at least at first, the groom gets credit <coughs> even though he was too lazy or too cheap to make sure that there was enough wine. Jesus bails him out. Yeah. And so I think it's another lesson of... It's like you were serving Budweiser. And then... And then now it's... Uh, Guinness or something like... Or yeah. Gambrinus or Pilsner or Quell and stuff like yeah. that. This will be our last alcohol reference. No, I have one more. Just let one me say One more it. For, for our freshmen. So I... I shouldn't be saying this to freshmen. All right. This is... I'm just telling Mike about this because I know he knows about Mad Dog. Um, guess who makes Mad Dog wine? I don't know. <coughs> The MD for Mad Dog comes from the maker, its name. What do, what do most churches use for communion wine? Oh, Morgan David. Are you serious? Morgan David makes Mad Dog 2020. Oh, my goodness. All right. Last alcohol reference for our freshmen. It's a part of the Bible. We can't get away from it. So, But I think the point is that Jesus bails out the groom, and for us, he bails us out, right? He does what we could not, could not do. He is perfect when we're not perfect. Um, and the other thing about the miracles, too, that we should say is, Jesus doesn't want to be known as a miracle worker. Very often he says, don't tell anybody that you saw this. And we've talked about Mark's gospel. The messianic secret is a theme of Mark's gospel. He wants to be known as, he wants to be known, first of all, as the guy who's going to go to the cross, right? But he also wants to deal with us with words, with words. Take me at my word is a phrase that we use in 105 all the time, describing what God has, is saying to us in the Old Testament specifically. All right. Sending to the 12, kind of an underrated story, I think. So the 12 are going to be sent out to preach. They are not ready. Um, and yet they, they are ready because they have, they have put their faith, we have told, in, in Christ. But they are certainly not going to be uh, seasoned preachers or anything like that. And he goes out and uh, he sends, Jesus sends out the 12 and um, he gives them instructions. Don't take a whole lot. You know, uh, you'll, you'll be provided for. Um, by the people, they're going to be appreciative that you come and bring good news of the Messiah, the Savior has actually arrived. Um, he says, if people, you know, are going to reject you, shake your, your, the dirt off your sandals and leave their town. We have no, ta no time right now for, um, for, for throwing pearls before swine kind of thing. But then when they come back, I think this is where Jesus says, and I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. And this great picture that we see in Revelation of this great cosmic battle between Christ and Jesus and, and the devil. And it's already done, and yet it's still going on kind of thing. It's sort of, uh, we can't really put a, a, a time structure on it. But notice that he's amazed that the devil is fall, like defeated, being thrown down. He's been like, been thrown, if it's like a WWE match, he's been thrown out of the ring. Why? Because someone spoke. Because someone preached, and there was miracles involved in this too, but someone preached. And so when you hear preaching, when you hear the words of absolution, the devil is getting socked in the face. He's being thrown down um, from this great cosmic battle. He's being defeated. It's the word of God. One little word can fell him, as Martin Luther wrote in his most famous hymn, A Mighty Fortress is Our God, right? That's a powerful picture. I think that's kind of an underrated story from the Gospels. Jesus calms a storm. He is true God over nature. Um, 
Jesus is going to call his disciples and they are going to be a tax collector, Matthew, some fishermen like Peter, James, and John, not the elite of the elite. He's going to to continue his modus operandi of using the ordinary to accomplish the extraordinary. He's going to tell people to pick up their cross, right? And he's very clear that this is not going to be, following me is not going to be easy, right? Um, But uh, this is all going to be about the the cross. And then maybe one, I'll give you the last, uh, the last word here, Wade, Peter's confession. Uh, you want to tell us about Peter's confession? You don't have to go on the details. The kids have read it, but maybe just a, a few comments about confessing that whole idea. If you, if you acknowledge me, Jesus says before, man, I acknowledge you before the father. What you want to tease that out for a little bit for me? Yeah. I just, let me preface it with it. I'm having a real hard time. <laughs> You're a hard time concentrating? Yeah. <laughs> Focusing right now. Um, can I just preface this with a, a meme I just saw? One meme and then we got to go because it's already okay. 40 minutes. Um, all right. Well, the meme, I saved it because it's pretty dank, like the kids like to say. And the, the meme says, uh, don't let the government fool you with this quarantine. They only want you to stay home so they can change the batteries and the birds. <laughs> Isn't that pretty good? That is pretty good. But not as good as Peter's confession. Okay, so we're talking, uh, if we're talking Peter's confession and Mark's gospel, uh, which is going to be what I'm going to roll with best. Um, <clears throat> excuse me, we are talking Mark chapter 8. You're talking about Jesus asked them, uh, but who do you say that I am? And he's, and Peter says, you are the Christ. That We're talking the same mm-hmm, confession here. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, <clears throat> It's significant in Mark's gospel because this is the first time that one of the apostles actually um, is going to get it right, right? Um, so far, Jesus has been confessed, but it's been by demons or by mm-hmm. uh, sinners. Um, and when we say sinners, we're all sinners, but like public sinners that mm-hmm. it's known. And now Peter's going um, Peter's going to get it right. Uh, you are the Christ. But immediately what follows is Jesus talks about his cross, his, his death and resurrection, and that bothers Peter um, that that uh, this is the um, the way that Jesus wants to carry out his ministry. And so Peter is almost immediately going to be rebuked then with the famous get behind me, Satan. And this is a reminder, I think a picture of the Christian life as well, that we say you are the Christ, you are the Son of God, but we struggle with the crosses when they come. And we, we struggle sometimes even with the faith being the good news of Christ crucified and risen, and can get bored with that or hunger for something more. And we have to be reminded that this is the center of the faith. And so it's also in Mark 8 then in this um, kind of climax. I think there's 16 chapters and this is the kind of climax of the gospel uh, that Jesus will say, take up your cross and, and follow me so that this is the nature of the Christian life as well. Excellent. Thank you so much for being on, Dr. Johnson. Uh, we're going to come back uh, for our next uh, session will be the teachings of Christ, Sermon on the Mount, parables, that kind of stuff. So uh, if you're not a student, we hope you enjoyed it. If you're a student, thanks for listening and make sure you do your homework. Until then, let the bird fly.